Hey everyone, welcome back to Hypothesis. I'm Amandine. And I'm Killian. And today we're talking about evolution, part two. Yay! Yeah. We've returned to evolution because we had a certain amount we wanted to talk about last time and then we just did not talk about even probably no. half of it. So hopefully <laughs> we'll get everything covered this time. Should do. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'm going to start by talking a bit about the general theme of part two, which is co-evolution. So co-evolution oh. is... I, we, we did do a little bit of co-evolution last Yeah, we did. Well. We mentioned it because it's so cool, yeah. but we yeah. have more. We have way more. Uh, so it's essentially when like multiple organisms sort of evolve together, as the name would suggest. So sometimes it can be, um, you know, a relationship that's positive for one organism um, and negative for another, or it could be indifferent for one. Um, all different combinations. We won't go into all that stuff. Um, no. I'm going to talk a bit about the ones where usually one organism is benefiting and the other isn't, which are parasitic relationships. So yeah. it's not actually just things that we'd imagine as parasites that includes all different diseases like bacteria and viruses, all that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll go straight into it because I think host pathogen evolution is a really interesting thing. Uh, who would have thought I'd bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, ideally a pathogen would like to infect a particular species without being detected by the immune system. That's its ultimate goal. It can just mm -hmm. breed and do whatever it wants to the organism with no consequences. But that obviously isn't what happens. We have very sophisticated immune systems that have evolved to deal with uh, these pathogens. So the pathogens have to sort of strike this balance between not killing its host too quickly and also yeah. not really raising the alarm as well and still being able to reproduce in a high enough number to be worth infecting mm -hmm. something in the first place. So why is it then that so many diseases like viruses and things like that are so deadly when it really doesn't benefit them to be very deadly? Yeah. Uh, so the first thing is that evolution can take a while. Um, <laughs> so over a long amount of time, you know, like millions or hundreds of millions of years, you'd eventually see viruses would probably you know, calm down a little bit in general, they, they wouldn't be as, as lethal. Virulent. Yeah, they wouldn't be as virulent, yeah. Uh, they'd still be quite infectious probably, but they wouldn't be as lethal because it doesn't really benefit them to do that. Oh, okay. But uh, the main reason that you see these viruses emerge that are so lethal is because of zoonotic transmission. So essentially that means transmitting from one organism to another. Mm -hmm. So for example, SARS-CoV-2, of course it has to come up. Um, <laughs> It, because it's not used to infecting humans, it's, you know, our immune system is not in any way evolved around this virus and it's in no way evolved around dealing with us. Yeah. So essentially it's, because it's not used to us, it doesn't really know what to do. It, it happens to be <laughs> very good at transmitting itself between us, yeah. but it's much more lethal than in an evolutionary sense is actually beneficial for it to be. Oh yeah, okay. So it's not adapted sense. to our species. So mm -hmm. it adapts to a receptor in our bodies that's found in our lungs and all sorts of places called ACE2. Um, but it binds to a very similar uh, receptor in bats and in pangolins and these other in creatures. What? Pangolins. Oh, sorry, what are they? Have you not heard of a pangolin? No, sorry, oh, am I exposing should... myself? For yeah, you are. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you should you should definitely Google image search pangolin. They're they're pretty cute looking animals. What are they? Um, are they like primate thingy? That's, no, I'm, no. I'm picturing like yeah, no. Okay, what are no, they? No, pangolin. I don't even know how you describe it. It's kind of scaly, but in a nice way. It's almost it like an like... armadillo kind of situation. Okay, interesting. Um, I didn't. But, yeah, no, I never uh, heard of those. 
I think, uh, yeah, there's a strong theory that uh, SARS-CoV-2 originated in bats, but actually transmitted to pangolins, which was an intermediate host before it came to humans. So someone somewhere ate a pangolin that they shouldn't have eaten and then got this virus, for example. That could have mm. been it. Okay. Um, so the reason the viruses are usually quite good at evolving, though, is because they have high mutation rates, which is something that we mentioned before, I think. So okay. they, they lack uh, proofreading enzymes. So they don't have essentially a check and balance system. So when they're yeah. adding bits of DNA or RNA or whatever it is, they don't really have any protein machinery that's checking that that's correct. So because yeah. they're making these mistakes all the time, they're make, mm -hmm. making things that make them either worse or better. And that's what evolution is yeah. all about. So they yeah. evolve a lot quicker, but it also means um, that- Wait. They, Okay, so I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But now I'm getting confused. Okay, so for me, a virus, whatever, infects the host. Yes. The host, it uses host machinery to whatever, replicate its DNA and stuff. Yes. But does the host machinery not have the proofreading parts? That's, that's a good question. Because I was going along <laughs> with it. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Yeah, because like we have the proofreading. And I was like, wait a minute, they use our stuff to do it. Yeah, that's so, actually a good question. I'm not actually too sure about that. Maybe it's, I think... It might not be as good at proofreading because it's slightly different yeah. DNA yeah. or RNA that it's used to reading. It must yeah. be something else to do. That is actually a good point. I haven't thought of that. Um, yeah. But a virus, obviously, because it's essentially uh, like DNA or RNA wrapped in like a, a protein. A, or yeah, a protein like capsule. It doesn't really have its own proteins to do that. Mm. So it has to rely yeah, on its host machinery. Yeah. So maybe that's where the variability comes in that sometimes it's Oh yeah, it probably also messes up the system somehow. Like it definitely messes yeah. with the system, and then that's why it probably doesn't proofread as normal, like as well as it would do normally. Yeah, in exactly. The yeah. Normal host. Yeah, that makes um, sense. And then another thing that I remember thinking was the coolest thing ever in our evolution lectures <laughs> was uh, this uh, hypothesis called the Red Queen hypothesis. Uh, I, I think I briefly mentioned this in yeah. episode one, maybe on sex differences. But uh, essentially the red queen hypothesis, it's sort of like, like the, the image that comes to mind is this Alice in Wonderland, the red queen. And uh, essentially in Alice in Wonderland, the book, she's chasing Alice, I think it is. And Alice has to keep running in order to stay away from the queen because she's on this sort of, I don't know the exact It's just thing. like, I, don't, I have no idea either, I, I, but I, I, it, it's, I, I, it's like I, a treadmill, basically. Yeah, As in you're running, but you're staying in the same place. Yes. And so the hypothesis is that there is lots of evolutionary changes happening, but the sort of but net book, outcome yeah. is the same. Exactly. It never changes. Yeah. So in evolutionary terms, it's often taught that, like, for example, pathogens and hosts, like the flu virus infecting us, for example, might be seen as that kind of relationship. Mm. We've never become you know as a species completely immune to the flu, to the flu but the flu also hasn't completely taken over us it's just yeah. you know constant one is evolving against the other and they're kind of staying yeah. in roughly the same place so yeah. in order to stay protected uh, it's thought the species need to keep evolving ways around pathogens hmm. but actually humans is a bad example because we're not really evolving right now <laughs> um, yeah. because and that's a good thing that we're not evolving, I think, because if, if you're evolving, uh, that really means that there's a big selection pressure a lot of the time. Yeah. So it means a lot of people are dying. That would mean like mm -hmm. if, a, if an organism is evolving rapidly, it usually means it's because a lot of um, organisms, either in a particular place or as a species as a whole, is under a very intense pressure. And thankfully, in a lot of cases, humans aren't 
under the same pressure as other organisms because we have yeah. all the technologies and things we do. So yeah. um, we have things like in episode one, we talked about sexual reproduction that even ensures that there's some genes uh, being, being exchanged. So that leads to different types of immunity. Different people come together, share immune genes and people mm. are immune to things that they mightn't have been otherwise. Um, uh, yeah, so that's why like one person isn't as vulnerable to a pathogen as person two and all that sort mm -hmm. of thing. But the real reason that we're protected is obviously because of our amazing immune system. So oh, uh, surprise, yeah. surprise, he brings up the immune system. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to talk about it a good bit more as well. So <laughs> hang on tight. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. So our immune system is split into two major parts, the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system. So the innate immune system, uh, it's pretty much found in every living thing in the planet. Everything has some sort of innate immunity. Um, from mice to insects to even bacteria, you could argue, um, mm -hmm. has some sort of innate defense. So for bacteria, that would be CRISPR. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the famous yeah. CRISPR, the gene mm -hmm. editing technology. It's, it came from essentially this uh, mechanism that's found in bacteria that allows them to be immune to bacteriophages. So it's this- Which are a virus. Uh, yeah, which are a virus yeah. that infects bacteria exclusively. Yeah. yeah. So- Essentially what they do is they're able to recognize this is a virus, so I chopped this DNA. Um, so we just use that machinery to do genetic modification. Anyway, that's yeah. just a bit of a side track. Side note. <laughs> yeah. uh, so innate immune systems in most organisms consist of things like pathogen recognition receptors. So we, we, bro we broadly recognize what's a pathogen. So for example, there could be something common to the outside of every bacterium. So our immune hmm. system would go, okay, I know that this means that's a bacteria, get, get the responses ready. Also, this is, I, some people don't know what a pathogen is, which I didn't realize, but just maybe okay. disclaimer that it's just something bad. Like, I don't know how so, to properly yeah, describe yeah. it. It's I, just like something bad that like infects you, I suppose. Yeah, I think, I think it could also be described as like an infectious agent or something like that. So yeah. think bacteria infection, think viral infection, mm -hmm. think, you know, even yeah. parasite or worm infection or something, you know, yeah, all, all of those are pathogens. Pathogens, yeah. No, just because I said it to someone before and they're like, I don't even know what a pathogen is. And I was like, oh, yeah. right, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, so that's the innate immune system. It recognizes things quite broadly. So it says, let's say, I know this is from a bacteria because I've seen this type of signal before. Yeah. So it um, induces responses that your body knows are quite good at fighting bacteria. Mm -hmm. um, and thankfully, some of us uh, vertebrates out there, we all have adaptive <laughs> immune systems. Shout out to all my vertebrates. Uh, so the, the adaptive immune system is much more specific. So uh, you might have heard a lot about these things recently. Uh, antibodies and T cells, they are essentially the main mediators of adaptive immunity. Um, both of them have the ability to, to detect a wide variety of pathogens really specifically, like it's... <laughs> Unbelievable how specific <laughs> these things are, which is why you can do things like antibody tests to see if someone has been infected with COVID. Because you can look at yeah. their antibodies and say, that's the perfect shape to bind to COVID. So yeah, we know it's like that... a, uh, what's the word? Jigsaw puzzle. Like exactly. a jigsaw puzzle piece. They fit together. They fit together, exactly. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to go too into antibodies and T cells, although I would love to do that sometime. <laughs> Save um, for another time, another time. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is still about evolution. Um, but we've evolved to have this system. Um, where the DNA of our T cells um, and our B cells, which are the cells that produce antibodies, um, that DNA can rearrange itself. 
Um, so you have this system called VDJ recombination, which sounds very complex, but I'm going to yeah, break does. it down very simply. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but again, maybe someday. <laughs> um, so essentially the genes sort of shuffle around um, a bit mm -hmm. randomly. Um, now only the genes that encode the antibodies and the, and the part of the T cell called the T cell receptor, which recognizes pathogens. So it's not like mm -hmm. anything else in your body gets randomly shuffled around. That would be bad. I actually, I have a question about this. Sorry if you don't know. Um, but so you're saying gene shuffling, whatever, Grant, does it happen in specific cell types or yes. is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it happens in the T cells and the B cells. So they're the. Oh, because they're the ones that. Yeah. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Because so the B cells it. produce antibodies yeah. and the T cells uh, okay, carry yeah, yeah. out like cytotoxic responses to directly kill um cells and infectious cool. organisms and things so um the vdj and vdj recombination stands for variable diversity and joining which are the three different types of gene segments that get shuffled around so we have okay. a certain amount of each and they can be rearranged in any particular order just randomly mm -hmm. and because of this randomness they can recognize essentially any molecular pattern that could exist so yeah anything that could be on the outside of a virus or bacteria or anything or even on the mm -hmm. inside of them can potentially be recognized by your immune system as long as the right shuffle was made. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, and it's just random, is it? Like randomly yes, yeah, shuffled? It's, it's and... random, yeah. So what happens is uh, during an infection, um, an immune cell called a dendritic cell will take up a pathogen, take it to a lymph node, which is where you have loads of B and T cells. Mm -hmm. and essentially, it shows it to all those things and goes, do any of you guys recognize this? Because <laughs> um, And eventually, it will find the one that recognizes it. You know? yeah so that's that's why vaccines work that it's because we actually have those cells inside us that are able to recognize COVID-19 but they just can't get activated until we have the experience of actually encountering uh, it yeah do they just sit around like okay do they just sit around there until they find something that matches or like or is it like is it made and if they don't find anything that matches with it it'll just disappear and die or is it like saved in a bank of like these could potentially match up with something one day um, it's sort of it's sort of more like I, I think saved in a bank is a, a little bit more okay. accurate, but I think you can but you also have cells that are killed if they don't recognize certain things or if they recognize yourself because that leads to all oh, the yeah, yeah. disease. The most yeah. of the time they're killed. So it's a little bit of both kind of. Okay. Um, but essentially the main point I want to get across is you have this crazy amount of diversity that we've evolved this immune mechanism to shuffle our genes around, which allows us to keep up with pathogens even if we're not evolving ourselves. So for antibodies, yeah. there's three to the power of 11 combinations of potential like, genes. I don't shuffles. know how big that number is. Exactly. Like, is it? it's like, yeah, you, it, but I'm telling you, if you Google that, you'll see a lot of zeros. And uh, <laughs> it means it's a massive amount. It's just yeah. it, like it's hard to even fathom, you know? Yeah. It's like universe scale amounts of, of yeah. potential antibodies. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that rant about VDJ recombination. <laughs> so we also have the ability um, to further improve adaptive responses throughout an infection. So we have this process called affinity maturation, um, which means that, so affinity means how tightly one thing binds to another thing in biology. Mm -hmm. um, so in the case of antibodies, if an antibody binds to, let's say, COVID-19, yeah. If it binds really well, that means it has high affinity for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once you start making antibodies for COVID-19, your body will start undergoing this process called affinity maturation every time you're infected. Um, 
So that means it'll get all the different B cells that have the right gene segments to recognize COVID-19. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll start selecting for the ones that bind it the best. So okay. this affinity maturation means, okay, we're going to let all the ones that recognize it really well, that, that bind really tightly, we're going to let them multiply. So you have loads of these, and we're going to start letting the ones die that don't recognize it that well. So because there's only, there's, there's no point investing loads of energy yeah. to keep the memory of the ones that only do kind of well. So you have mm -hmm. these things called memory cells, which stay around for your whole life sometimes, which is yeah. why, again, vaccines are great because they can sometimes induce these. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the time they induce them to some level. And yeah, so your immune system essentially wants to keep the, be the best ones around. So yeah, lots of control and regulation on this process to make sure that you don't make cells that recognize parts of your own body. That's only when yeah. things go wrong in autoimmune disease, which again, is probably a topic for another day. Yeah. Uh, so at, at the end of all this, the, the goal of the immune system is to maintain a constant internal environment because you don't mm -hmm. want pathogens coming in and out the whole time. Yeah. And uh, this is something that Lydia Lynch touched on a little bit in her Schrodinger talk, which I also <laughs> mentioned a little bit before, but she talked about how the immune system is more about homeostasis than it is about just killing things. You know, yeah. it's about keeping things constant. And that's why it's interesting that we're seeing the immune system has roles in um, obesity and even in neuro, neural disorders and things like that. Because mm -hmm. it's not just about pathogens. It's just about consistency yeah. and keeping order. Uh, so, you know, we're all guilty of when we're talking about the immune system, talking about, you know, the language of war. We're talking about things being targeted and killed and yeah. things exploding. Whereas <laughs> it's, it's not always as dramatic as that. A lot of the time, things are quite static and it's just... Even things like your skin is a part of the immune system. It's a physical barrier that stops yeah. pathogens getting into you. Unless you get a cut or something, it's not, a pathogen isn't going to make its way through your skin and into, mm. and into you. So yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great thing. <laughs> so and then we also talked about the microbiome, which has its own. We, we, again, we've evolved to have this microbiome that also helps us. You have to listen mm. to a previous episode <laughs> to hear more about that. But that's most of all I talk wanted to talk about about the evolution of the immune system and that yeah so. that's pretty cool yeah I actually didn't know a lot of that <laughs> I yeah we usually more about the immune system dare I say it Oops. <laughs> but that is that's exactly it is actually, what I want to hear yeah I know it actually is really interesting I don't know much about it and uh, what I was going to talk about is more of like a mutual relationship where two um of the organisms involved benefit and okay. big swerve so we're going to be talking times. about yeah. plants yay because oh. we never talk about plants because no, we didn't really rare. do it that much and yeah I think it's because it's something that I sometimes study and something you would never touch on really no don't we don't think. really do plant <laughs> immune stuff even yeah. though I do know a tiny bit about it, so I might be able to throw a little bit in but uh, yeah I'm actually I'm not talking about the plant immune system but Ooh. that's actually what I'm doing my project on this year kind oh, of yeah. a little bit um, but we don't get into that at all. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to talk, I was going to talk about pollination because I feel like that's something a lot of people kind of know about and it's, yeah. Uh, and obviously it benefits both the plant and the organism, which is pollinating the plant. Um, and it, I was kind of looking into the, the I don't know, is history the right word of it, but like in the past. So like early angiosperms, angiosperms are the plants that have flowers. Got, if right. you're going to put a really simple label on it it's the ones that flowers that they were actually pollinated by insects in the cretaceous which um i can't remember the exact like how many million years ago that was but it was very early <laughs> very <laughs> long time ago and so even then um insects were working alongside 
flowers to pollinate them. And today we have like loads of different types of pollinators, not just insects, which we would usually think of, you know, like bees or butterflies or whatever, but we have, you know, birds that pollinate, even bats pollinate. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so many different types, some lizards and all crazy things. And I think now even humans are going around pollinating because we may or may not be killing the planet and pollinators may or may not be dying but we mm. won't go into that either. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, pollination, I think, is also, it's almost an accidental thing, isn't it? That, like, yeah, yeah insects kind of do it. It's not like they're intentionally trying to pollinate plants. It's, yeah. yeah, again, this co-evolution. But I think we even do it if we're walking around the field. If you're yeah. kicking, <laughs> you know, accidentally a flower and it's yeah. pollen goes flying through the air, mm-hmm. you're a pollinator. Exactly, know? yeah, exactly. And we, we're also, well, oh, what's, like, this version of is that uh, the right yeah. word yeah you can just you know when the dandelions or yeah, whatever yeah. that you can that's, like blow like that that's trying to think of the word for that it's dandelion. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a bit different though because they're the city the too long <laughs> <laughs> yeah but for the pollination it's getting the pollen from the male part of the plant to the female part of the plant so pollen yep. uh, is on the anther and you're trying to get it onto the stigma if anyone did leaving sir biology there you go <laughs> coming in handy now um but yeah so the way it kind of works out, like you said, it's not like the insects or the animals go out intentionally to pollinate the plants. Like they kind of don't really care. Uh, so the flower has evolved ways to advertise. They have different features and like rewards as well. So for example, that's why the insect is going. It wants the nectar from the flower. Yeah. But yeah. And so flowers can adver- advertise to specific insects for example or to specific animals and depending on their color on their shape on their smell and the other thing to keep in mind is that and the animals don't always see the same colors as us like these they can see like ultraviolet and like blue and green green wavelengths really strongly and so the flower can um evolves like specific colors that really light up and you know for the the pollinators that we wouldn't necessarily see and the same with the smell they have really strong smells even if we can't always smell them and Mm. the other thing as well which I thought was really interesting that I actually didn't know was that a lot of the time the signals work together like the color and smell for example a lot Mm. of purple plants smell purple you know they all have the same smell and all red plants kind of smell the same so Mm. which I thought was pretty cool and yeah. something else that I thought was really interesting, it was uh, the sort of sexual selection of flowers, because when we, we think about animals, you know, sexually selecting, whatever, the big feathers, you know, from our last episode, but and how males kind of, well, females usually, we said it before, they kind of need to invest more yeah. time They're and energy. They're the ones doing the choosing most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so in the case of flowers, what happens is males invest more in making pollen and making themselves more attractive so they have lots of pollen they're you know really yellow or whatever so that they get lots of pollinators to come to take their pollen to bring them to other uh, plants and sometimes as well there's different ways of pollination that I'm not really going to go into of like you know where the, the plant will either pollinate other flowers on itself or a completely separate plant or the same flower puts the pollen you know like there's all these different ways oh yeah there's like self-pollination and all that yeah and all this sort of stuff yeah but um I just thought that was interesting as well but I didn't really you know it's not really relevant right now (laughs) um and another thing that is really cool is the sort of general pollination and specialized uh, pollinators where some pollinators can pollinate loads of different flowers and loads of different plants you know 
you can have birds that visit lots of different flowers and for birds and butterflies the flowers tend to be sort of long they have like a long tube because they oh, kind of yeah. have long i don't know what it's called actually on a butterfly a succubus it's like a twirly. or something like that oh, i have no idea i, I have feel no like idea. i've heard the word succubus i'm gonna okay. seem like an idiot now if this is wrong i'm gonna google it right now you keep talking um but yeah they're so so that they can go down and get the nectar um and so they couldn't be pollinated by something like bees um, and bees tend to pollinate sort of wide flowers with very little nectar, but lots of pollen. And so something as well, I actually, okay, I couldn't find, I tried looking it up, I couldn't find it, maybe you remember Killian from lectures, but it was something about how pollinators need a variety of plants to be healthy or something. And like when you go to fields with like, in, you know, farmland, which is a full field of just whatever apple trees, mm. it's not that great for the pollinator is or is it not i don't know do you remember learning about that i can't really remember to be honest. And, then, and, and how they box up the bees and bring them to different places oh, across the country yeah. so that they can get the variety, like they can yeah. pollinate yeah a different variety i couldn't find okay. anything like specific about it but that's just something to keep in mind which is unrelated yeah. to evolution but just something yeah. I and also i just want to bring back the fact that i was wrong about what it's called it's called a uh, proboscis so it's it, 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 like it's close enough i guess succubus whatever the hell i was trying to say uh i think Can i was just find, thinking what is a succubus is that a thing i, I don't know i tried Look to google it. I, I did I, I don't know what the hell it is it looks like some weird made of creature anyway <laughs> the thing i was trying to say is spelled p-r-o-b-o-s-c-i-s so, right uh that's not how i thought it was said or spelled so anyway moving uh, you on. know what you were close enough and we'll we'll I accept know, it yeah i got like one of the syllables right so i'll, I'll give myself <laughs> that counts that. that counts um so one of the really cool things that has evolved is the specific pollinators this I, I really think this is crazy. So there's this plant. I, I really hope I'm saying it right. It's spelled Y-U-C-C-A. So yucca? Yeah, yucca. Yeah. Okay, right. So there's the yucca plant and the yucca moth. And they have really co-evolved. I, I think I, I vaguely remember hearing about this. I think. Yeah, yeah, so the moth, the moths lay their eggs inside the flower. Like they kind of dig into it. And as they're doing that, they're, they're pollinating it, the, fla the flower. Mm. and they lay their larvae in there and when they hatch they they benefit first of all by having somewhere safe to be but also by eating some of the seeds and the seeds that are left and aren't eaten are uh, basically left to reproduce and you know that's how this plant gets pollinated but the other thing is that there are cheaters sometimes there's some moths that come to a plant that has already been pollinated and they're like grand and they go in and lay their eggs and a lot of the time in that case they end up eating all the seeds uh, because just there's so many larvae and right. the plant doesn't reproduce. So even though they have developed this really specific like relationship where they need each other, like the, yeah. the moth doesn't, I'm pretty sure it doesn't reproduce anywhere else. They, yeah. uh, they still have. But yeah. It can still be and, a toxic relationship. Yeah. Guys, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Even if you need each other, it doesn't stop someone being toxic. Okay. Um, Again, and the other one... off topic. Go, go, yeah. go back to what you were saying. <laughs> oh no, that's all I that's all I needed to say. That was a perfect ending to that. Uh, okay, great. But, but I think I I told you this before about the fig wasps and the fig tree. Oh this yeah, is insane. Yeah. What a sad life. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god. If you were a male fig wasp. Any male fig wasp oh, listening. Like I actually apologize. That's kind of yeah, rough life. But basically, 
uh, they have also co-evolved and developed this really tight relationship where they need each other. Um, so much so that the fig flowers don't even come outside of the fig, like they stay inside the fig. And so what happens is a female carrying a female, okay, here we're gonna get confusing. A female fig wasp carrying pollen kind of digs into the fig and lays her eggs there. And the flowers are inside the fig. And as she's laying her eggs, she's pollinating the fig, the plant. And then when the male larvae hatch, they fertilize the female larvae that are still inside their little egg things, which is a bit weird, but whatever, that's fine. That is weird. Um, (laughs) We don't respect, (laughs) but it's fine. Uh, They have a tough life. And once the females are born, the male's job is literally to dig them a hole out of the fig and then the males just basically die off. So kind of grim life, like they live their whole life inside a fig. And then the female, as she's sort of coming out of the fig, she's actually picking up pollen from the flowers inside the fig. And she just flies out and goes and pollinates the next one. And the cycle starts all over again. Mm. Um, wow. And I just, oh, I don't relate with that life. That lifestyle is <laughs> just not. You don't relate to fig wasps, no way. <laughs> No, it's just so sad. Like that really, I remember learning about that and just being like, what a sad, like yeah. that, but like that is the point of evolution. And like, that's the point yeah. of genes. It's just pass your genes on, but for what? Sorry, yeah. it's getting a bit existential, but like seriously, yeah. for we what? Got, like? We got lucky that uh, the, the way we evolved allows us to do lots of other things. Yeah, <laughs> we can do other things than just dig a hole. Reproduce, dig and die, essentially. Yeah, that's, that's the that, situation. That's the, the three stages of life. <laughs> Oh, that one's, yeah, that one just always really stuck with me. And I just thought that was yeah. funny. That's, that's a but good um, yeah, another sort of co-evolutionary relationship that's not related to pollination, but is related to plants and animals is the acacia and ants relationship that, I don't know if you remember doing that. I, um, I think this might have been the thing I was going to mention that I did in this mini first year project. But Yeah, I did that as yeah. well. Oh, we both remember. got that project. I couldn't find it though. I, okay, so guys, <laughs> we did a project in the first year or second year where we had to write about acacias and ants for some reason. Yeah, we no, just, people were giving different topics. There were like six yeah, possible yeah. topics, but we got the same one, obviously. Yeah, which but was we didn't know each other one. in the first year, so, so it was the best to one. Whatever TA picked that, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, basically I couldn't find it. I was looking it up, but I couldn't find it. But I still kind of know some stuff about it, which is yeah. that the acacia. So it's a plant, and it. Um, if the acacia and the wasp or not the wasp oh my goodness the acacia ants. and the ant yeah, yeah. have a mutualistic relationship I think mutualistic is the right word but yeah it could be I think something so. else, whereby the acacia provides nutrients in the form of nectar from different glands and also a home for the ants they have mm. if you look up a picture of them they have these thorns and the thorns are where the ants lay their eggs and sort of look after their larvae and so that would protect them from any predators, for example, that would try to, I don't know, eat the larvae or eat the ants because it's thorny. They get, yeah. you know, sort of, they stay away. And then the ants defend the acacia from herbivores. So whether that be, you know, like big, like what you think of as a herbivore, like an animal eating stuff or other insects. Um, it also mm. prevent, protects it, excuse me, from microorganisms and pathogens, basically stuff that would cause disease. Yeah. And also, which I thought was really interesting from neighboring plants. So like if a vine is growing something, you know, sort of in its direction, the ants will like come along and like eat it and kill it or whatever. So that the acacia doesn't have to compete with it, which I thought was really cool. 
Yeah. Um, well, that sounds like a nice relationship. Yeah, that one sounds pretty decent. Like they both are getting something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think mutual mutualism is a it's is the, way the to right go. word. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely the way to go. But yeah, there's sort of just the things I had on plants that I thought was really cool because we don't really talk about plants. Um, yeah. Even though it's a big part of biology, I think it always gets kind of left behind. Yeah, I think a lot of people who so, don't specialize in like plant science plant, or botany yeah. or that sort of thing, or maybe even environmental science, they do a good bit of it. Yeah. But apart from that, a lot of other fields seem to kind of leave plants behind a little bit. Yeah, even like stuff. OK, oh, fair enough. Immunology, it's a bit different, but things like genetics, it is relevant there. Mm. It yeah. is relevant in like biochemistry and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I think, says me, who doesn't even study it, but <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it should be relevant. Yes. Um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say okay. about that. Yeah. Uh, so when I was going into some of the like immune stuff and all that, I was thinking, you know what? bats they're really cool and all these diseases or a lot of them anyway you seem to hear they come from bats and um i knew a little bit about this before but not as much as i do now um, yeah. <laughs> about why bats are such you know amazing creatures and why they're so good at carrying disease so i actually read this uh perspective paper it's called it's sort of like a review um it was actually only published over a week ago but it's really what, good what's um, the difference between a perspective and a review I, can't, I don't remember. Sure. I think yeah, perspectives, no, uh, perspectives are usually a bit shorter anyway. And I think it's okay. more opinionated than a review usually. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'm not 100% sure about that definition. Yeah, no, don't quote me on that. <laughs> uh, but it was by Irving et al. So if you want to look that up. What year? Do you know? Oh, this year, 2021. Like just, yeah, just over a week ago. Oh, okay. It's published. Uh, 20th of January, actually, I have it here. Um, so bats have a very different approach to this whole pathogen problem that I was talking about. So rather than evolving like sophisticated like killing mechanisms in their immune systems, um, they're generally quite tolerant of pathogens. So they mm -hmm. allow pathogens to grow and replicate inside them most of the time without annoying them too much. Uh, right. So this was a very different type of coevolution than most organisms have had with pathogens. Mm. Uh, so it led to it's almost like an alliance between the bats and the pathogens. Uh, you know, okay. they've sort of made this alliance with the dark side. Uh, the, the bat became like a major reservoir for disease because uh, yeah. they help viruses travel to other creatures that they can infect. And in return, the viruses don't cause major damage to bats. They've sort of had this relationship where viruses don't actually seem to, most of the time, damage bats as much as they do other creatures because they have yeah. this relationship. So, yeah, sorry. Also, when you're saying that, I'm like picturing a relationship where the bats are full on talking to the pathogens, yeah. like, I'll let you stay yeah. in me if you yeah. don't kill me. And they're like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Yeah, but it doesn't work like that. But that's yeah. how I'm picturing it in yeah. my head. Yeah, I think sometimes talking about evolution, that's sort of the way it almost sounds yeah. like a lot of the time. But it's a result of 64 million years of bat evolution. <laughs> Um, so I the prefer them just having a chat. I think that's yeah, better. Th that would be a little easier. Um, <laughs> so there's a load of diseases that have origins in bats, including mm -hmm. rabies, Ebola, MERS, and SARS-CoV-2. Um, so usually there's zoonotic transmission to an intermediate host before humans are infected in a lot mm -hmm. of these cases anyway. So a lot of the time it wouldn't be that a human, let's say, ate a bat or something like that and got the disease. Usually mm -hmm. the bat gave it to something else, which then gives it to us. Okay. So sometimes it could be that a bat bit a pig that was part mm -hmm. of a pig farm that then, yeah. you know, gets eaten. And um, do you think, is it like, likely that the sort of intermediate um, animal or whatever, would they get sick or not really? 
yeah, a lot of the time the intermediate host would, would get sick as well, but maybe not okay. as much then as us. Because again, every yeah. step is getting sort of further from what, like every time it makes a new jump, it's something yeah. that's not quite used to. So it takes time to evolve to that case. So I suppose it depends on how long it's evolved in the intermediate host before oh, yeah, it gets yeah. to us. Yeah. Um, and another really interesting about bats and their immune systems is that they very rarely get tumors. So they have, uh, I, I just thought this was also really cool. So they have these like pumps uh, that allow them to pump out uh, genotoxic agents. So things that damage DNA. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting. And they also have really long lifespans compared to their body size. Like it's way longer than would be predicted by science normally. So there's actually lots that can be learned from bats and their immune systems. Wait, what's the thing about the genotoxic pumps or whatever? Yeah, they so it looks like they pump out toxic it, stuff, but into where? Into just out of their cells. Yeah, out of their cells, yeah. They pump them out extracellularly. So yeah, outside the cells. So yeah, that's just pretty cool. That's crazy. Um, and then their increased tolerance to viruses and things like that um, are thought to be a result of selection that was necessary in order for flight. So it's actually sort of a, a weird... What? Yeah, yeah. so you, you think that it was this normal sort of co-evolution where pathogen and bat, you know, sort of just eventually over time learn to live with each other. But actually yeah. it's thought to be a side effect of bats learning to fly. Because another really interesting thing about bats is they're the only flying mammal. So that makes them very yeah, unique. Yeah, that is, lots of that is pretty cool. So, they're so cute as well. Sorry, have you ever, they're so okay. They're a bit creepy, kind of, if yes. you go like too close to their face. But they're so cute. Wait, I'm confused now. I'm, how? I'm how? About, yes, that's what okay. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I need okay. to know. <laughs> so, because flying is something that takes a lot of energy. You know, yeah. as as we know, even walking and running can tire you out. So, can you imagine <laughs> flying? That that would be hard. Anyway, uh, so they have really high metabolic rates. Um. So they, uh, so basically they have a high turnover of uh, things they eat, like glucose and things like that. They, they essentially use up their nutrients very quickly because they're right. flying a lot. So they have to eat quite a lot as well. A lot of the yeah. time they fly for a while, eat and keep flying uh, and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Okay, um, this, is, this is a complete side note. Do yeah. bats, wait, I know there's something about bats feeding other bats yes. in the group or whatever yes i do remember this because yeah. they don't evolution, yeah they want to whatever they feed every they make sure everyone gets fed and it's the sort of thing like oh if you don't have food one day i'll just whatever regurgitate one yeah. dinner and you can eat it why do i think it's blood is that... yeah no i think it, it was that it... yeah i think it, is... i think it's vampire bats or one of those types of species that do that so vampire bats okay. for people who don't know are ones that actually do suck blood as the okay classic you know dracula sort of story is yeah it's not quite like dracula but uh yeah they they have the ability to i think store certain amounts of food sort of in their mm-hmm. cheeks or something don't they or something no, like I don't that know where, or, where or they're able to regurgitate it i can't remember which yeah, it is but essentially they have this relationship even with each other that if one of them is hungry um and one has extra food it will regurgitate or spit out or whatever it's doing the extra food yeah. to the other one and the reason that is is partially because of this high metabolic rate if they don't eat in a certain amount of time they will die it's not like us where we can go a certain amount of time days or weeks without eating if, if they go i can't remember exactly how long it is but yeah. it's not very long um without eating they will just die so they need to help okay. each other out in that regard but yeah. anyway coming back to sorry why, yeah that was a sign yeah <laughs> coming back to why flying actually got their immune system to be more tolerant 
Um, so the energy in your cells comes from something called the mitochondria. Again, we mentioned mitochondria a bit in our Origin of Life episode. Uh, mm. But you'll know then if you listen to that, that the mitochondria are essentially an ancient form of bacteria that have learned to live inside our cells to give us energy. Yeah. So what happens is because they're turning over so much energy, their mitochondria actually burst more often than normal um, okay. than in most creatures. So they release the mitochondrial DNA. So what happens yeah. is if you release mitochondrial DNA, this is something that really activates your immune system because you suddenly think there's a bacteria inside me, yeah. go crazy, uh, <laughs> start attacking. <laughs> so if the mitochondria are bursting quite a lot, it doesn't make sense for the immune system to go mad every time because you just have constant inflammation and lots of damage. Yeah. So they've evolved to not really have any intracellular DNA sensors. So unlike us, where we can sense DNA inside ourselves that isn't supposed to be there, bats can't. So they actually don't even have the ability to detect these things. So that's why they've sort of have this different relationship. So the virus infects the cells, for example, it doesn't get attacked. So it doesn't have a reason to start evolving all these crazy mechanisms to try and avoid oh, things and attack. It just yeah. goes, oh, so if you're going to be chill with me, I'll be chill with you. <laughs> Again, okay. the conversational tone that doesn't actually happen, <laughs> but it helps visualize this. Yeah. Um, so for example, there's this thing called um, Sting, which is, a, which is a part of a DNA sensing pathway. And it has uh, several point mutations in bats that don't exist really in any other creature. And there are mutations that suggest that it's actually evolved to, to act differently. And there's yeah. other sensors, which every other mammal has that bats just don't have at all. Yeah. So it's thought that they've actually evolved to get rid of them because um, yeah. it doesn't help them. So it's actually because of this flight and this increased energy, increased bursting of mitochondria, that means they become more tolerant to pathogens as a consequence. It's not like they, it ever was set out to be that way. It's just the fact that mitochondria happen to look like pathogens in when they yeah. burst, if you know what I mean. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh so my God. That, that is mad. So that also is why if you have a virus or something that comes from a bat, that virus has, if it's been in the bat for let's say millions of years, it's yeah. evolved to say, right, when I go into a cell, there's never any response, everything's fine. Yeah. So once it eventually makes a change that means it can infect something else, then it goes into this new creature and it suddenly activates all sorts of responses that it's never seen before. So sometimes yeah. it completely overactivates the response because it's not used to how to even deal with that system. So that's why, for example, SARS-CoV-2, the reason it kills people is because of an overactive immune response because SARS-CoV-2 is not used to being in a creature like us with really sophisticated defense mechanisms. It's used to being in a bat where it doesn't, need, doesn't activate anything. So suddenly it gets into us, activates all these things, and it goes too far and kills us a lot of the time. So oh, yeah, insane. so that's why viruses from bats are especially dangerous because they're, they think that they're not going to provoke a response if you, if you think about it in that way. Yeah. They've evolved to not really do that. So the increased zoonotic transmission from bats in recent years because of disruption of ecosystems, like urbanization, um, trading of bat meat, which is in increasing in some parts of the world, and because climate change is forcing bats into new areas, this all means that we're gonna have more and more interactions with bats and possibly bat viruses. So we really need to monitor these issues and be aware that you know, these things that come from bats can be more dangerous than things that come from any other creature because of those reasons that I mentioned. Uh, so yeah, not to, not to be a bummer, but, uh, That's a bit dark, <laughs> yeah, but we do need to keep an eye out and we need to study bats more. Bats yeah. are, are a, 
a bit neglected compared to how cool they are. I think they should yeah, be. Yeah, and uh, how cute they are as well. <laughs> I mean, each to their own, I guess. <laughs> I think some of them can be cute. Um, ah, they can, because they have their little hands as well. Because, like, you know, their yeah. wings are like hands or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. But, um, I do have They're a few sweet. side notes, just random things about bats evolving. <laughs> I also found in this paper, because I didn't just want to talk about the evolution stuff when there's so much cool stuff about bats. So uh, yeah, the, the only flying mammals, that's cool in itself. Uh, so all the mammals in the world, there are 6,400 species of mammals in the world. Uh-huh. And 1,423 of these are bats. What? So that's a massive amount of the amount of mammals yeah as, as species are bat yeah. species there's well so it's species. probably because there's no other mammals that fly so they have loads of niches to be like exactly yeah i'll just whatever so uh i just couldn't believe just 1423 types of bats that's crazy yeah um so they're found almost everywhere in the world apart from extreme deserts and the poles and a few islands um don't have bats crazy um, so yeah, they have really high metabolic fl- <clears throat> metabolic rates and turnover when they fly. As I said, that's yeah. very high energy. Um, so this means that they, their heart needs to beat really fast, which again yeah. can sometimes cause this damage that they've evolved to sort of prevent. But their yeah. hearts can beat over a thousand times a minute. What? That's nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> when I read that, I was like, well, I got the calculator. I was like, how many times is that? Set? Whoa. How like, many? How many? It's a lot. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it again it's okay it won't mean anything to me numbers i just they won't it won't mean anything to me okay but well it, it sounds it, it, uh, yeah approximately, a thousand a minute is good enough for me <laughs> it's approximately 16 or 17 times a second like, what okay no that does that that does yeah that is I don't, impressive. that put it in perspective even more yeah but, that uh, does that actually does yeah so that's that's my bat rant <laughs> that kind of reminds me of the hummingbird doesn't the hummingbird do oh, some yeah. flies crazy fast and i'm pretty yeah. sure they pollinate flowers as well guys so they there you do. go it all comes back together <laughs> it all comes back to the <laughs> the plants pollinating yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh is there anything else you want to talk about i i think i got my rant out of the way yeah no that's kind of it just about sort of when you were saying the bats um having to move because of climate change and things like that hmm. it's hard to I know we all hear about climate change happening and you know we need to do stuff about it and it's hard to know I don't know unless you go looking for it I feel like you all you hear is that the ice is melting like that's kind of it and like and yeah, what there are, kind yeah of thing. there are so many consequences but there's so many consequences yeah and that you know we might talk about it more in detail one day but just that Definitely. you know climate change does affect evolution since that's what we're talking about today and it does have factor on it things like you know, if the temperature increases, a lot of the times what happens is um, organisms move more towards the poles, so it's to cooler temperatures. And when, when they do that, you know, they're moving into areas where other animals have already evolved to live, you know, perfectly. And when they come in, it's almost like an invasive species sort of situation sometimes where they can you know outcompete everything that's already there take over cause massive changes or it can be the other way around where they get there and they're like oh my god we don't know how to live here and you know that species can die out and so there's just so many factors and things to take into account and I think that's what you're kind of saying about the bats trying to find different places to live and you know I think unfortunately with a lot of people you know, I think it doesn't really hit home until you mention the human consequences of all this. People sometimes don't yeah. really care. Oh, a species goes extinct, boo-hoo. You yeah. know, some people might say. 
But mm. then when you put it into the context of, okay, this could mean increased disease. It could mean, yeah. you know, plants that have certain curative properties that we haven't analyzed yet could go extinct before we even yeah. see them. You know, you have to, I think some, with some people anyway, you need to put it in a human context. And there are yeah. a lot of human consequences to this too. It's not just yeah. for the animals, it's for everything. So and we shouldn't value animals. It shouldn't just be about us yeah. all the time anyway. And plants <laughs> and all those things. We should yeah. value everything, pretty much. Yeah. Well, maybe not certain pathogens, you know. Yeah, like, no, that's what I was going to uh, say. I was like, hmm, everything, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, pathogens are just generally quite nasty. A lot of the time they don't have many benefits. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe not pathogens. Yeah, uh, I'll, ag I'll agree with that. Unless someone comes up with a better counter yeah. argument, and then I'll be like, "Yeah, okay." Although well, pathogens can control populations. And yeah, stuff that's what I was just sometimes. about to say. I know they can have their benefits. But... Okay, guys, we know, we know. We're just trying to be cool. Yeah, don't be sending us angry emails. Yeah, <laughs> about how much you love pathogens and you don't want them to go away. Okay. Um, yeah, they're important too. They can be. They can be. Well, yeah, I think that's kind of everything for today. Yeah. So, so thanks for tuning thanks in. Thanks for guys. listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll see you next time or hear you or you'll hear us <laughs> we won't hear you anyway we won't hear you unless <laughs> no you send how, us a message yeah. and let us know yes you <laughs> what can you send, thought yeah you can send us an email it's that's in our podcast description thingy yeah um, and on our website and we also have an Instagram page if you want to message us there but yes yeah. if you shout at us during the podcast we will not hear you yeah uh, but you can, you can send us a message after and, and we'll definitely hear it slash see it then yes but, yeah right. thanks Bye, for listening guys. guys see ya